Welcome to the Masterlink podcast with James and Stefan. Getting to know creatives in the music industry. Available on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like our podcast, you can support us on patreon.com forward slash the Masterlink sessions. You can watch all of our previous music videos by visiting masterlinksessions.com. Or you could simply buy us a coffee from buymeacoffee.com forward slash masterlink. Hi everyone, welcome to the Masterlink podcast. My name's James. Hey, Stefan here. And today we have a special episode for you. Actually two episodes. We're going to create a roundup of our 49 previous podcasts from season one. We started the podcast sometime in, when was it, James? So we started in February 2021, I think. Yeah, I think there was still, we were like, I can't remember now, in and out lockdowns and we thought we we're going to do something uh, that we can do from home and we can get other people involved. So if they're sitting at home and just to create a few good moments, positive moments during lockdown. And I think we never planned to do that many, did we? No. No, we've been doing it for, well, yeah, over a year now. Yeah, I mean, it's actually quite cool to lo- looking back and uh, we managed to do 49 uh, and, yeah, we called it season one. And after, how did we feel after having done 49? How would you describe that? I thought, I thought we'd asked all the questions. But actually, what's interesting is that now we've revised the format and we've got a little bit of structure to to what we're doing what's really interesting is seeing how people respond to some of the questions and actually we're able to see a really broad picture of how people are feeling about the topics that we're talking about we love doing the podcasts for many reasons one being there are so many great musicians and creatives out there we just love talking to them and they all have stories to tell and we love to hear the stories and to share their stories. And what it also does, across all the podcasts, we're getting a sense of where our community is at the moment, what the sort of zeitgeist of music making entails. So we're going to go back now to February 2021 with our first conversation with Mark Ede. So here's a little snippet of Mark. But impact dates mean nothing partly because there's so much noise, right? So, but, but Impact Dates comes from the old model where a record company would work a record for about six weeks. And if it hadn't, if it hadn't got legs by the end of that six weeks, they would have moved on to the next project. I think it's really important for indie artists to work their music for years, if not decades. Now, I think a lot of the most successful artists will be people that nobody's ever heard of. And that's because they find their tribe they have a good direct relationship with their tribe and, um, and everybody outside of their tribe doesn't really know about them. You have to find another way. And I think this sort of uber indie where you find your tribe is the way to go. Mascot signed blues artist Connor Selby. I like a lot of artists who studied literature and definitely did bring that into their music. For example, Nick Drake, he went to Cambridge and studied English literature as well, I think. And you can definitely see a lot of that influence in his work. But I don't know, for me, I never try and write over complicated lyrics. Everything I write is kind of straightforward. 
and that's by design really because that's kind of the way I am as a person I feel and going back to the whole you know study music for me I've never really kind of seen myself as taking that approach like I feel like if you put me in an environment where music became academic I probably wouldn't enjoy it as much if that makes sense Mm -hmm. for me it's always just been something that I've kind of done and figured out in my own way and in my own time I've always enjoyed that approach much more than kind of being told to do a certain thing or to learn a certain thing or to to play a certain way yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense and and um coming back to producer and musician Sophie Ackroyd you know, one of the biggest challenges is finding a way to live um, when you're first starting out as a musician. And I, I just didn't see how I could survive without my BBC job. I was living in an ex-council block that I just moved into towards the end of my music college course when I was considering, well, you know, what I should do next. And um, as we were moving in, my housemate pointed up at a sign, an actual sign, uh, <laughs> that said recording studio and an arrow. <laughs> um, and it was, there was a recording studio in the car park area of this council estate um, and actually quite a re- like renowned recording studio. It used to be called Sphere. Oh, really? And oh, wow. <laughs> that is so, so there I was, moving house, wondering like how I'm going to make a way in the music industry. And I moved and there was literally a sign pointing me to a recording studio. So, <laughs> and um, what a recording studio. I know. Vocalist and band leader of the Rainbreakers, Ben Edwards. I wasn't interested in anything. Nothing sort of interested me um, and I was encouraged to do something that I enjoyed and the last thing I could remember enjoying was playing in a band with my brother and my friend um, and they happened to be back at the right time and they were like yeah let's do that why not and I think that kind of it's I think I still use it today for the drive because it, um, it's like I kind of feel like I've got to do it to keep myself on track with my own life, you know? I think this is one of the great things about music, that music is such a wonderful healer in medicine. I, I think to most of us... Yeah, I, I, I agree that it's a healer. I don't, I don't know whether it's healed me yet. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I think I kind of use it to distract me from that. And I think the recording of the songs and writing these the lyrics and then... It's very important to me that it comes out as a physical thing so that I can kind of park that emotion on the shelf a little bit and then sort of look at it retrospectively. Guitarist extraordinaire, Tony Remy. Well, the first, I think the first thing is of mutual respect. You know, if you, if you have a, an understanding that you, there's no one better than the other guy. Everyone can, the two people in the room can bring something to the party and you know that before you go in you don't know what you're going to do and but you know that if, if you go pling plong that might vibe the other person to go pling 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 and then you just work that way you know there's never i don't have a fear you know like sometimes me and stefan have gone in and, and done a couple of things for the master link there's no fear we know that we respect each other to mm. be able to bring something to the party you know and we can, when we respect each other as friends, to be able to say, nah, nah, that's rubbish. That sounds like Mickey Mouse. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but with respect, you know? Got it. Vocalist and artist Laura Evans. 
Well, obviously the whole payment system is totally messed up. So <laughs> I feel like we're all just sucking it up at the moment and, you know, <laughs> going with it. But it's not fair. And I know, I know bigger artists are trying to make a change and make a stand because we should be getting paid more. Songwriters should be getting paid more. But see, on the flip side, for someone that isn't signed to a huge record label, we get to reach our fans. Maybe we lose, we don't get paid as much money, but we get to create our fan base, I think, easier than if we didn't have that avenue or that platform. Sure. So I think there needs to be a change and there needs to be a fairer split when it comes to financial getting paid. But I think in terms of putting your music out there and getting it to people... I don't see another platform that's doing any better or I don't see a solution in the near future that will be as easy to use and as instrumental for independent artists. Mm. Vocalist and artist Els Bailey. I come from a background of business, actually. So I feel like I was already quite lucky there because I've always loved business and, and I love psychology as well. So that kind of all intertwines quite nicely uh, into music and the music business. So I really enjoy navigating the ever-changing uh, ever changing music business, really, but especially from like a grassroots um perspective and uh, I also work with other artists as well um, alongside Mark Eade from Big I Am so that's 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 something else I do that I really enjoy. Percussionist to the greats, Carl van den Bosch. Percussion is a groove element instrument. It's to help things move along. Everything is to help things move along in my eyes. It's a shame some people see it different than others. And as you said, in Cuban, salsa, merengue, Brazilian, it's a main force in what they do. But in some other styles, it's not. And it does depend on the producer. And I've had a situation where the artist wanted percussion, but the producer was kind of, uh, kind of odd, didn't know what he wanted. This day and age, people like yourself, they get it. So I'm, I'm lucky in that sense, because working with the master links, Amazing musicians, amazing producers, and you get it. Whereas I've been in situations where I can't literally go to the producer and go, can you turn me up? Because mm. as you know, with those kind of things, it looks weird. And Stefan, you've been in situations where you've gone, Carl's here, he's playing well, he's part of the groove. Can we turn him up, please? Vocalist and songwriter, Georgia Van Etten. I'm very, like my mum's an art teacher. I'm very, uh, I'm from a real creative background. And I think... When you get to come in and, and when you get to produce as well, not just as a singer, not just letting someone else make your music, but you're making it yourself, you get to make the decision on every single little layer and sound and texture. And that is just so exciting for me. Mm. I just want to make, it really sounds wanky, but I'd like to make little bits of art out of my songwriting. That is just the most creative and thrilling thing I can think of. I mean, yeah. I wish I was a better visual artist, but unfortunately I'm not. I'm okay at painting, but I'm not amazing. And I think it's my painting. Oh God, that sounds so wanky, but that's that's true. <laughs> yeah, sorry guys, oh, it's right. God. so corny, but that's, that's the truth. It's like my little way of painting a picture. Vocalist, artist, teacher, and part-time comedian, Holly Rogers. You could just tell that, you know, 
He's just such a cool dude, isn't he? And I thought this guy's this guy is a somebody for sure. But I didn't I didn't know he was called Robin Ford. I only knew he'd been introduced to me as Robin. So he could have been Robin anybody, and I didn't know what he looked like. Um, so I'm in this room with with Jamie Lawson and Robin Ford, and they said um, quite early on, how, "How do you feel about us all writing a song together today for you, kind of in your style for you to sing?" And I was like, "That would be." fucking great thank you very much um and so then robin was chatting to me trying to get to know me and and asked about my influences and um i talked for like 15 minutes about how much i love Joni mitchell and um and then he's he's just listening and then he just reclines in his chair with his cup of coffee after i finished chatting and he goes yeah i played with Joni from 75 to 79 she's a great gal and i was like oh that's who you are Vocalist and artist Jade Like the Stone. I think listening to incredible lyricists like Towns Van Zandt, for example, really helped, and, and Neil Young and people like that really helped shape my colours that I use. Um, and I, I reference colours as in like the different smells and factory senses that you can bring to people, or just using descriptive factors as part of your lyrics. Is, is something that I think can transport people to another world or another mm. time. And I think growing up, again, I go back to Welsh culture of Eisteddfodau, where I've listened to so much poetry, and not just written down, but performed with passion, like stuff from like really witty stories, unusual things like about a dog, or like, you know, <laughs> right through to some like amazing war poems that, or stuff that'll just get get you cry i've seen old grown men crying on stage with these beautiful poems and i and i was exposed to a lot of that every weekend um so that that i think that influenced me massively blues artist ben hemming how would you describe the journey and what has changed what has remained the same i guess um i would like to say a bit more established um but um hasn't changed is is still like a really strong sense of independence to what I'm doing. I'm still out there doing it by myself. Well, not doing it by myself. I have a team behind me now, but when I started, I didn't have that. I feel there's still that sense of being an indie artist, I suppose. Artistically, how have you evolved over those four records or five soon? I think it's maybe my songwriting has evolved, I suppose. Maybe I've kind of grown as a songwriter. I think that's something that kind of happens whenever you write an album. Every time you write an album, you kind of learn something about what it is to write music. And then sort of you learn a lot just from the kind of recording process. Guitarist and producer Leo Appleyard. So I went to Jazz Ahead in Bremen in 2015 I think I don't know I went in very naive this you know I had my album printed I was ready to go and network and try and get some gigs in Europe and and I got there and and somebody described it to me very well as um there were more takers than givers um and it was you know loads of musicians like myself hustling trying to get gigs and very few people giving opportunities I, you know and i'm not knocking it it was i had a great time and i drank many beers and mm -hmm. i really hung out with loads of incredible musicians but it was a bit of an eye opener for me in terms of i suppose the reality of the jazz scene and what 
you could expect from it. And I, you know, it's a great place to go to. And it, it was, I had an amazing experience, but I think it was a bit of the nail on the head for me in terms of pushing my original jazz music. I just felt I wasn't really sure where to go from there. Guitarist for the greats, Scott McKeon. Now I feel like I've got something to say, whereas back then I didn't. So when I stopped doing my stuff in around 2010, 2011, it was it was like starting again because and it was tricky because I left my management. I left all my music. I didn't look at my own music for ages and, and I just kind of shut that door and I was like, I just want to be a musician. And that's that's hard. It's hard going from headlining your own shows. You know, we play around Europe and we play festivals around Europe and blues gigs and you know some really cool gigs under my own name and to leave that to one side and then to just go to getting paid you know not a lot of money or playing sorts of music that perhaps you're not as into but I loved it because it felt like the right thing to do at the time because I think if I'd have just carried on doing my own stuff I don't think I'd have learned as much I feel like I just kind of was in my own little world <laughs> doing blues music and it, it's Artist and host of Vin's Night In, Vin Goodwin. I'm sitting there at the front of a Vin's Night In and there's an audience. They're either laughing or clapping or just looking joyous and drinking drunk half them. Um, but that is my that's my place. And I suddenly mm. go, God, this is where I belong. Mm. And I don't, it's not like, and I'm not on the stage at that point. I, I mean, I quite like that too. I quite like just facing a stage. I'm not, fr- I'm sort of nervous. I want to get it right. But at the same time, I just think this is amazing. Mm. I love being able to do this. I love, and it's, it's, I like, it's an extension of, um, you know, people say, what are your favorite things to do in the world? And one of them is to have as many people as possible around my house for dinner or right. for a party at Christmas. And I've done that a few times where it all gets a bit random and people come and go and I think, who are you? And then people leave. And I love this whole getting people together. I'm a people person, I guess. Mm. Master photographer. Rob Blackham. Basically, I prepare. Uh, I do. I create mood boards on Pinterest. I look at. I look at the artist's previous portraits and photographs. Um, so I'm totally, utterly prepared before I open my camera bag. And I mean, in the unlikely event that the dynamic is something's not working, I will mm-hmm. just change it all up. I'll reopen the notebook, see where we were see what was working what wasn't working and just adjust it's it's exactly like it's, it's the same as what you do when you're jamming in a room and i think when you're taking someone's photograph especially if it's a one-to-one thing it is the closest thing to a jam that you can get because you know the, the subject will do something i will react to that i might suggest something the subject will react negatively or positively but it, you know it's like a game a discussion it's like a dialogue but visually. Producers and musicians, Robin Davey and Greta Valenti. Robin quickly, you know, kind of joined my company, Grow Vision, and we morphed that into this like bigger production company. So I still do like web and, you know, design and some of those things and marketing things for people, but we do a lot of film production, a lot of video work. And so that's kind of our main forte and we do music. So kind of everything is encapsulated into this Grow Vision where we have our bands. Yeah, we have two bands. So then we formed a band together called Well Hung Heart. Which is um, a rock band. Which is a, yeah. Um, and that was, we formed that like maybe... 2010. 
so yeah, so we did that together, and then we um, then we formed another band because my background being in in blues, um, Bo Grigory and the Apocalypse, which is the blues bluesish band, has kind of become more of a New Orleans kind of vibe band rather than mm. so much musically pinpointed. Singer songwriter Jana Varga. What, what I want my songs to do to people, which is like delve deep into the emotional pool <laughs> uh, but then maybe you know find some some kind of bright outcome i don't know my, musically i'm based on like lots of 70s songwriters uh type music you know janice and a little bit of Joni. obviously you can't avoid that um paul simon and all these kind of exploratory routes that they took in terms of their music and because I have my classical background as well. I used to say that my music is a bit like uh, Joan and Mitchell crossed with Sting, but I think it's moved on from, from then. <laughs> um, wow, that's yeah. cool. I mean, that's a pretty cool crossover. That is, that is quite cool. That is quite cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. But uh, I feel like I'm still evolving and, and the writing is evolving. And what I want is to to people connect with something that comes from a very deep place, but also is very hopeful, not just, not just dark. Esteemed Nashville producer, Fred Mullin. I think the most important part of producing an artist is to understand that you're the producer and that they are the artist and that you're there to serve them and to facilitate their vision and a lot of times they may not have a vision, so you have to help them find it. And sometimes they have a very clear vision and all you got to do is facilitate it. And that really is important to understand the dynamic that your name is on the bottom and the back of the CD and it's their face on the cover. And they're the ones who are going to have to go and promote it and tour with it and everything else. And you're on to the next job. And so it's very important that you have a certain humility about what you do. Like, I don't have an ego when it comes to making a record. I certainly lost my ego completely writing for TV and film because there isn't a shred of ego that you can have because you're just literally a spoke in the wheel. String arranger, engineer and producer Fiona Cruikshank. On a recording day, it's always just like such a buzz. I just love being in the studio. But when you're mixing, especially at the moment, and it, so much of it is remote, basically, and I, you know... I'm inspired by people, so I do start to struggle if I'm mixing on my own. And I feel like day one, I'm always like, oh, my God, what am I doing? How have I even got this job? I'm a disaster. This is awful. <laughs> and then you come in on day two and listen to what you did the day before, and you're like, oh, no, it's fine. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> like, we all have that sort of battle of imposter syndrome, maybe, and, and just kind of losing faith a bit before you find the right path for that project, and then you're kind of away. Drummer and educator Mike Sturgis. I've always loved songs and I've always loved lots of different styles of music. I got into jazz at a very young age and I'm really thankful for that. But at the same time, I was playing rock and country and, you know, anything else. And, you know, playing in symphony orchestras and concert bands and marching bands, stuff like that. So I think that breadth just... Uh, prepared me really just to be hopefully open-minded mm. um and you know I, I think songs are the things that stay with you you know in life you know whether 
doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Stormzy or the Bee Gees, you know, or James Taylor or whatever, you know, a song is a song. Mm. And uh, that's the thing that ultimately, you know, as a drummer, uh, you need to learn to support and accommodate. Elton John's stage manager, Peter Mills. So I own the site. I was very lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Mum and Dad rented it for, as a as a kid thing for us when we were kids. So we had horses and ducks and chickens. I think this is actually where I'm sitting right now is actually a, a chicken shed or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> originally. And then so after that, this was then a rehearsal room for my band in the 80s. So Mum and Dad left in the in the mid 80s, and I took it over. I love that documentary on Rockfield Studios because I, I worked at Rockfield a lot in the early days, just after, kind of just after Queen and all those bands that were in. I worked with Big Country down there and stuff. And then having seen the documentary, I went, that is us. Yeah. That is us. They're not worried about the noise because they're in the middle of nowhere, which is what we are. And luckily we've got a really good relationship with the, you know, with the people that are nearby. Uh, the, the, the house in the middle down there is the vicar and he married me and my wife and all that. So we've got like this amazing relationship Brilliant. here. Record label boss, Elliot Island. I'm endlessly amazed by the new records that come out and the, the way the beats work and the way the vocals work. And I mean, when Chainsmokers brought out the record, I just thought, what an incredible record um, mm. that changed their first hit. So for me, it's how, how technology, yes, we do have all the orchestras at our fingertips. We have all the bass players at our fingertips, all the guitarists, you know, we have all this sort of stuff, but then equally you listen to the Chainsmokers and that's like a style of pop music that, that I, I'd never heard before. And when it came out, I was like, yeah, this is, this is rocking. This is really happening. So uh, I think people have always had lots of technology and instruments at their disposal. Um, but it's how you create your own limits and how you create your own paradigm uh, and you and you start, you know you stay true to your own paradigm and that creates an environment where you actually have limits and you have um, and you have walls around your style and around your arrangements and that is an area where results can be created that can be really fascinating vocalist and artist cat eaton i remember being obsessed with uh, a Sheffield blues legend called Frank White, who's just, he passed away a year ago. And he was a mentor of mine and Nick's. And I remember seeing him at a concert and a festival, yeah, when I was 11 years old and he was on stage and I was in a choir um, when I was 11 and he was on stage after us and we just did like a, you know, three songs. And we were singing, you know, like songs you sing in a, in a little choir, in a school choir, which weren't, which were very sort of, ah, da, 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 da. and then I hadn't heard, when I heard Frank playing, he was playing Elvis and Chuck Berry and Little Richard and and Ray Charles and loads of absolutely fantastic music that I'd never heard before at the age of 11. I remember seeing that live and, and thinking, that's what I want to do. 